We study the Russian Revolution today because it's our only example of a country where the working class, fed up with the misery of capitalist rule, overthrew the capitalists and launched a worker state. It was a mass movement which was led by some of the most exploited and oppressed people in Russia. The workers of Russia created their own system to govern the country, guaranteeing that the majority would have the final say. They created this system to solve the severe social crisis that Russia suffered as a result of World War I, a war fought by the major capitalist powers to redivide the world's resources among themselves. In achieving this victory, the Russian workers showed how the working class might begin to solve the problems of modern society. They did all of this in conditions of illegality and extreme oppression. Russia was the first country to accomplish this task. And while we know it ended in defeat, it also taught us what ingredients are necessary for making a successful socialist revolution. The Bolshevik party that led the revolution was indispensable, and they are an example of the kind of organization that is necessary today. It was a party of the working class. It was deeply rooted and highly responsive to the workers' movement, dedicated and focused on promoting workers' self-activity and control. It was able to draw together all sections of the working class and coordinate the movement so that it was at its strongest and was able to respond dynamically to every obstacle the ruling class threw in its way. We need to learn to create a similarly dynamic revolutionary workers' organization to meet the needs of the workers' movement today. To do that, we must look more closely at the historical context and development of the Russian Revolution. The Russian Revolution takes place in 1917, but the first main chapter occurred in 1905. At the turn of the century, the vast majority of the Russian population were poor peasants, ruled by a nobility headed by a dictatorial, hereditary ruler, the Tsar, who was basically a king. It was a relatively poor country that was just entering into the scene of modern-day capitalism. Industrialization meant immiseration of peasants who sought better lives in the cities, but instead found squalor and hard work in the factories. Workers and peasants organized in response to their conditions and were met with intense repression. Strikes and peasant rebellions shook the country. In 1904, the Tsarist government got involved in a bloody war with Imperial Japan, which, after an initial spark of patriotism, deepened the discontent of the peasants, workers, and poor. In December of that year, St. Petersburg, where the Tsar's government was headquartered, was practically shut down by strikes. A mass march on the Tsar's Winter Palace in January 1905 was met by gunfire from the Tsar's troops, killing hundreds. This led to nearly a year of mass strikes and peasant uprisings, ultimately ended by the Tsar's repression. 1905 was the practice round of the Russian Revolution. It marked the birth of the Soviets. The working class in a whole region needed a way to coordinate their forces. To do so, they elected representative councils or Soviets. We'll say more about them later, but it's important to mention this form of organizing came into being because of the scale of the movement. And it comes back in 1917 during the revolution because it existed in the memories of those who had built them in 1905. Another thing that came out of 1905 was the creation of the Duma, which was like a parliament. The Tsar's government created the Duma in an effort to appear to make concessions towards greater democracy in Russia, but it had no real power. 
However, political parties were able to use the Duma as a platform for their message and for exposing the inadequacy of the Tsarist government. Between 1905 and 1917, there were again periods of worker strikes and peasant uprisings. The Tsarist government increased its repression, hunting down and arresting anyone suspected of political organizing. There are countless stories of organizers being followed, houses ransacked, and print shops being discovered and destroyed. In fact, the assumption, if you were a young revolutionary, was that you'd be able to organize only for a short period before being arrested. You'd do your political education while being held as a prisoner, and then, when you got out, you'd repeat the cycle. But the repression couldn't stop the revolutionary upsurge from developing or the political groups from organizing. They were resilient and found creative ways to operate in the repressive conditions. World War I, from 1914 to 1918, added fuel to the already raging fire of the Russian workers' movement. Because British and French capitalists had invested so much in Russia's industrial modernization, the Tsar was a loyal servant of these countries in their conflicts with the capitalists of Germany and Eastern Europe. Russia was aligned with England, France, and their allies against Germany, Austria-Hungary, and others. Workers and peasants on both sides were sent by the millions to the trenches to die so the capitalists could enhance their profits. The war meant millions of lives lost in Russia alone through combat and starvation. In early 1917, after three years of horrific war, a mass movement of workers, peasants, soldiers, and sailors overthrew the Tsar's government, demanding an end to the war. It started in February, when strikes broke out in the major factories. Enormous demonstrations filled the streets. The Tsar's troops, sick of war, refused to fire on the people. They mingled with the crowds and dissolved into the population. The uprising reached a peak near the end of the month. The Tsar's government no longer had any legitimacy or power. After the Tsar's government was overthrown, there were two forces that emerged to fill the void. The Soviets were the organizing bodies of the workers, peasants, and soldiers. The property-owning classes feared the Soviets, and with their remaining legitimacy, they created a provisional government of pro-capitalist politicians in order to try to take control over the revolution by dismantling the Soviets. The provisional government was built on top of what remained of the Tsarist state apparatus, its police, its bureaucracy, and portions of the army. It was set up by representatives of the same classes that had ruled before, with the addition of some moderate middle-class Democrats. It promised democracy and land reform, but only after the experts sat down to write a constitution. Until then, the provisional government would rule. The war policy and starvation would continue. The Soviets were the main weapon of the workers. They were adopted by the Russian working class as a way to organize its struggle and ultimately take power. Soviets were first created in almost all large industrial centers and inspired the creation of soldiers and peasant Soviets. As the revolutionary movement progressed, the Soviets became not just organizations for the coordination of struggle, they came to be seen as an alternative government representing all the poor and working masses. The Soviets were recognized as the real authority in revolutionary Russia. With this realization, the workers opened the way for the Soviets to eventually take power eight months later in the October Revolution and to become the governing foundation of the new worker state. The Soviets were true organizations of workers' democracy. 
There was no distinction between leaders and followers. All workers who supported the Soviets took part in them, both in leadership as well as in action. The masses didn't simply offer their opinion on matters or elect people to do the organizing work for them. They were actually engaged in the work themselves. Workers thought and made decisions on their own, discussed key issues with each other, and voted actively and openly. They took on tasks willingly and according to each of their capacities. No organization as democratic and unified as the Soviets had ever existed in Russia or in the world at large. The power in the major cities and urban areas, and increasingly in the countryside, was in the hands of the Soviets. But the workers didn't yet recognize the power that they had. This is where the role of the Revolutionary Workers' Party comes into play. Socialist organizations were entrenched in the labor movement, but were illegal and by necessity operated underground. During periods of mass upheaval, they were able to operate more openly, coming to the fore publicly as leaders and organizers. While these fights generated few gains and were always met with intense repression, they showed the workers which organizations could be relied on to support and perhaps lead their struggles. There were a few different socialist parties. There were the Mensheviks and Bolshevik parties, Menshevik meaning minority and Bolshevik meaning majority. They came from the same organization called the Russian Social Democratic Workers' Party that organized directly with and came out of the workers' movement. Initially, since 1903, Mensheviks and Bolsheviks split over minor differences, but increasingly over the years, from 1905 and especially in years leading up to 1917, the parties became fully distinct and with important differences. By 1917, the Bolsheviks were much more closely linked to the working class. Both factions believed it was likely that after the overthrow of the Tsar, Russia would enter a period of capitalist development, during which time the workers would build their organizations in the open, as workers had in Europe, and prepare for the future socialist revolution. The Mensheviks adopted the position that the capitalists would lead the revolution at the head of a coalition of all of those who were oppressed by the Tsar and the landlords. According to the Mensheviks, the task of the revolutionaries was to operate as the left wing in coalition with the capitalists against the monarchy and to defend the workers against any attacks by the new ruling class of capitalists. The Bolsheviks shared the analysis that the primary task of the revolution was to smash the Tsar's state and the landlords. But they argued that because the small class of capitalists was so weak and so tied to the old Tsarist regime, the capitalist class would end up siding with the monarchy and try to crush any revolutionary attempt by the working class. The Bolsheviks believed that the only social force capable of overthrowing the Tsar was the working class united with the peasantry. The working class would have to form its own revolutionary government in alliance with the peasantry. Given the different perspectives and positions of the two parties, the Bolsheviks were the only ones who saw things clearly. They recognized that the Soviets represented the only way forward in the revolution. They saw the counter-revolutionary role of the provisional government. Flowing from their analysis, the Mensheviks aligned themselves with the capitalist provisional government. The main role the Bolsheviks played from February to October was to use every measure, every tool they had to get the working class to realize the power it had, that the Soviets had to take power, and that they could not rely on the provisional government. 
Over the coming months, the provisional government repeatedly betrayed the interests of the workers and peasants. Land reform was promised but never carried out. More and more people were sent to die in the wars. The conditions for workers and the poor became increasingly dire, and the provisional government did nothing. Every every betrayal was exposed, clarified, and combated by the Bolshevik party. This process clarified for working people that their problems would only be solved if they solved them themselves. As workers had increasingly less faith in the provisional government, it became increasingly desperate. In a last-ditch effort, a coup was planned by Kornilov, a new general appointed by the provisional government to the head of the military. In September, his plans were leaked and the provisional government was completely discredited. It was one betrayal too many. Workers increasingly looked to the Bolshevik party, who realized by October that the situation was ripe for insurrection. The whole working population was engaged, participated in preparing, organizing, and winning the revolution. The most important event in world history took place. In October, the working class finally overturned the provisional government and set up a government of workers, soldiers, and peasants through the Soviets. They then were faced with restructuring all of society. Abortion was legalized. Childcare and communal kitchens were created to free women from the burdens of housework. Peasants redistributed land. There was a cultural and educational explosion, using all forms of art to help educate the population about the revolution and everything else. Murals were painted on trains so that the peasants in the countryside could be exposed to the culture and art that was happening in the cities. However, revolutionaries at the time knew that the project was doomed if it did not spread beyond Russia's borders. In October 1917, Soviet Russia faced an invasion by 14 imperialist powers and a civil war supported by the former Russian Tsarist forces and capitalists. Many of the revolutionary workers fought on the front lines and lost their lives. After the devastation of World War I and the ongoing civil war, the Russian economy nearly collapsed. A wave of attempts at workers' revolution swept across Europe, but none were successful. Isolated, faced with poverty and exhaustion, the workers lost their hold on the democratic collective power they had created. A bureaucracy led by Joseph Stalin arose and imposed dictatorial powers through the new worker state. Stalin proclaimed that socialism could exist in one country and turned his back on and even opposed international revolution. The Communist International was turned into a counter-revolutionary organization. In conclusion, the most important lesson to draw from the Russian Revolution is how vital the working class movement is for restructuring society. It shows that the hard part isn't figuring out how to organize a society that puts the needs of the population first. Workers organically did that when they formed Soviets, created communal kitchens and daycares, and all of the things that were accomplished in the Russian Revolution. The hard part is removing the capitalist class so that the working class is able to do so. The provisional government was simply one form the capitalist class took. In any situation where the working class forms organs of power through the process of organizing a revolutionary movement, there will be forces of capitalism that attempt to subvert and crush it. Without a workers' party like the Bolsheviks, that has full confidence in the leading role of the working class in the coming socialist revolution, the working class cannot succeed in its historic task. 
The Russian Revolution also shows us the urgent necessity of internationalism for the working class and revolutionary parties, without which any revolution is doomed. Today, when we see capitalism destroying the environment, the pandemic and uprisings all over the world of people facing similar problems, the Russian Revolution is a reminder of the task ahead and the power ordinary working people have to lead us out of this capitalist nightmare.